What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to How's It Going to End? How you doing? That's great. Today, I am joined by the writer and director of one of my favorite films this year so far, You Won't Be Alone, a story about a young witch observing human life firsthand, um, which is still in theaters. Uh, so you are depriving yourself of this experience if you do not see it. Goran Stolevsky, how you doing? Good, thanks. Good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, I'm very, very excited to have you on. When um, Matt mentioned at the end of our episode, that he'd like, you know, contact you. Uh, I was trying very hard to stifle my excitement so that I wouldn't come off as like such a dweeb. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough with, with social media to, to, you know, use that as a means to connect with the people I've spoken to. So for him to make that assist was incredibly kind. And I know uh, you're, you're also busy. So I, I'm grateful for your time. You're busy working on your, your next feature, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, oh, no, it's this, it's very new to me that anyone would be excited to speak to me. So <laughs> this is all very cool, man. It's all good. Oh, well, thanks. Um, um, first things first, before anything, if you had the ability to take the shape of anyone in history, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm dividing, uh, I'm sort of split between doing it with a politician or artist <laughs> probably end up being the artist um yeah. but it would probably be someone in the future rather than now so cryogenically freeze myself i'm more curious about what happens that's more yeah i went with um, uh i went with julius caesar up until the assassination yeah. and then i dip and then i'm out of there you know <laughs> get to be yeah, married yeah. to cleopatra for a little bit and all that stuff right oh yeah you're right i haven't thought about who i would be able to have sex with you're right that would be the priority <laughs> No, that would definitely be the priority. Yeah. This with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've I've completely refocused my my notes because I'm trying to lean away from Matt's specialty of, of of you know cinematography and more into the narrative construction because I am so excited to talk to you about what went into writing uh, a film like this. Matt mentioned that um, after your short film, uh, would you look at her premiered at Sundance? Uh, that you talked with producer Christina uh, Seaton and you gave her a bunch of scripts and she landed on this one and you were kind of like surprised that she, that this is the one she responded to. Can I hear about that? Yeah. I mean, knowing her now, I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was surprising in the sense that, um, you know, like this is coming from the context of, um, I mean, I wrote most of these scripts before uh, Would You Look at Her, uh, which, you know, went to Sundance. So that was, quite useful to my life at the time but before that I was very much like nothing and no one sort of like an aspiring filmmaker for like 20 years by that point and aspiring meaning failed so you know I had all these screenplays that had accumulated but um yeah at the time when I was trying to write I was trying to think of what's uh it's not even strategically uh just what was makeable what was achievable and I thought it would have to be something low budget and modest and most of my background was in relationship drama and I still you know love relationship drama it wasn't mm-hmm. like um so yeah I had a collection of scripts accumulated by the time I went to Sundance and then I sort of had them all summarized you know in a paragraph somewhere and I always kept you won't be alone towards the end just because I thought I would come off as so ridiculous to mm-hmm. anyone if they read this it's idea so out there <laughs> well yeah and yeah. you know You've seen the movie now, and I mean, to me, it feels like it's worked out okay. But if you just have this <laughs> random dude coming at you with like, "Look, it's about witches, but it's about their feelings," okay? Yeah. And also, <laughs> their 
in a specific dialect program that like I wouldn't listen to me. So I don't know why anyone else would. Um, well, there, there's something um, uh, so I mean inspiring in, in, in a film so as unique as this one because it really is just out there on every level to to actually get made and uh, mm. especially considering you know the, the stuff that's that's making money these days. So um, yeah, no, this one really. I'm actually I'm incredibly excited when it's whenever when however it's available to get a hold of the screenplay because I was telling Matt how interesting it is that like you know a film like this which I've I've been I've been saying it has a handicap in that it has a mute protagonist so you have to you know you you have to l- heavily lean into those visuals but at the same time you get her narration so everything is kind of mm. you know beautifully led along so I'm I'm interested to see what else is on the page. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's quite close to what um, we we ended up with with the film. I mean, there's a lot of scenes we added in the sense that, um, especially the second half of the filming went quite smoothly, so we could improvise <laughs> a lot of scenes yeah. on set, which was good. And because of the style of filming we had with Maddie C and also Beth Ryan, the pro- uh, production designer, um, mm-hmm. we had a lot of spaces that kind of almost existed like as a 360 degree setup, you know, um, yeah. even on a very low budget. So we could kind of venture off and shoot a lot of stuff um, additionally. But I think a lot of it is just as it is in the screenplay. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, um, I'm not sure how things go about releasing that or publishing that. I'm very new to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder how people would react to the script. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Um, I, I don't know. You, you, you guys manipulated that that you know that mountain range uh, in in Serbia so beautifully. I mean, you 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 have you're able to like you know cover miles and miles almost, um, and and within the same area. What was what was it like finding uh, like like uh, location scouting and then uh, you know deciding on there and, and manipulating that area? Mm. I mean, you know, it's you have to feel incredibly fortunate, you know, because. Um, I didn't write it. No, when I wrote it, I was thinking of a specific region where we weren't able to film, which was in my native Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Serbia is just, you know, across the ditch, <laughs> like it's right <laughs> next to it. It's not like it was a compromise by any means. Um, but I, I didn't know this part of Serbia at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, once it was decided that we had to film in Serbia, we had a location scout, Stefan uh, Todorovic, uh, kind of drive around the country, basically. I gave him very, very specific, um, you know, uh, notes uh, as a brief, uh, like literally, you know, needs to be on a slant and houses need to be yeah. in this relation to each other, which is, you know, you get as specific as possible just so that you spark off ideas because you're eventually you're always going to adapt to what's there. But um yeah, he found this spot that actually, you know, in the photos he sent us, he, he sent us photos from a bunch of villages and then we, there was this one and um, it already looked very, you know, workable just off the photos. And then it was the first place we looked at. And um, even though we had the idea of sort of going around the region to look at other things, from the moment we landed in the village, um, it kind of presented itself like to us with everything we could need and more um and we kept finding more and more spots sort of within walking distance um or you know short drive around it and then yeah you're kind of like you know when when you start prepping a film you don't have enough you know hours in the day or time in the world so as soon as something that looks like a solution presents itself to you mm-hmm. you're like okay is this workable oh my god yeah. it is <laughs> this is what it's gonna be cling to it yeah um so yeah and in this case 
I think we were very spoiled for choice because there was always like two or three locations we were choosing in between that were equally kind of beautiful um, and very accessible to us. Um, we were very lucky again that the villagers were, were very enthusiastic to have us there. Um, and yeah, um, very, yeah, just very fortunate. Yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're, what, a, what a place to kind of, you know, what a territory to, to, to discover nature and, and humanity for, for mm. a character, for a character like Navina to wander into such a beautiful location. And she finds beauty in the little things all the way mm. to, you know, the, the, the sunsets and the, the grand scale. Um, mm. Speaking of, you know, Navina, you, you, you have, how are you able to find four people to portray the same person so well? Cause it is unreal how well mm. Sarah and Numi and Carlotto and, and, and Alice were able to embody Navina and her, her, it's the same curiosity for life across all four people. And it's like the character marker, you know, how, how were you able to get all these guys? Cause I know you worked with, with Sarah in your, in your previous mm. short, but the rest of them, it's, it's just, it's a perfect combination. Yeah. Um, I knew Alice personally. I hadn't worked with her before, uh, but Carlotto and Numi I met through the movie. Um, I was sort of like just looking at people's work, um, getting a sense of people who are kind of fearless and can lose themselves into a story world. Um, and sort of, I think both with Numi and Carlotta, looking at their previous films, you get a sense that the movie absorbs them. So they're kind of carried away with it. And which is how I work in the sense that the movie takes over and absorbs me. I feel like it directs me. I don't direct it, you know, like, so I feel like, instinctively I'm looking for people who have that kind of sense of it's never about an individual it's about you know we're all kind of in service to something else um that's interesting so I think I was looking for that element and also kind of fearlessness as, as an mm -hmm. actor like, you know um <laughs> the readiness to humiliate yourself if necessary because <laughs> I have that yeah. too <laughs> um <laughs> But no, the nicer way to phrase that is fearlessness, um, because yeah, they're completely unflappable. Um, all those guys, and just uh, we connected as people very intensely. I mean, that was lucky. You know, I kind of decided to cast them before meeting them, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then it was just um, like I feel like with each other's actors, I had a very intense personal connection, and then a separately intense connection to the character they were playing, and it was kind of a uh, triangle of feelings <laughs> yeah we would set up with each of them um and yeah like you know some of it was in the script in terms of the mannerisms and gentle reminders in the prose <laughs> you know yeah. evolving and um but they also had a lot of freedom um and especially with uh with all of them like i wanted to also capture because you kind of fall in love with these people and you want to capture oh, yeah. something of their own um I want that preserved in a movie. And then because each iteration that the character shapeshifts through, um, she kind of grows anyway. I think she would take on a little bit of the actor that's playing her. Um, and then we would kind of figure out a way to absorb that. And the way, um, like I'm very uh, conscious of how I'm going to be editing the film while I'm shooting it or writing it for that matter. Um, the second feature I'm doing, I'm editing myself actually. Um, I've edited, it's done. Um, so I, I'm always very hyper aware of what the through line might be and setting up these connections, um, even just for a movie, for a story, you know, but especially in this case where it's meant to be the same person and it is essentially the same person that's being Truly, I mean, 
it's 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 unreal that uh it's like insane to me that there there there's that that base of you know innocent curiosity of, of the world around her and then it's it's each each person uh portrays that perfectly and then also adds on like because at the same time you know she's learning about around her and when mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. when she is um uh, uh, uh basilica she's learning about you know social groups and she's learning about what what the what the women when they gather and they do and, and when they're in the you know the 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 glory of their husbands what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to, to treat them and all that and then i love that uh i love that the narration isn't necessarily you know in 1945 Brooklyn like Scorsese narration you know what I mean where it's like it's it's reading facts it's these these are like like you know uh thoughts these are just passing by her and she's kind of grabbing at them so like when she's realizing you know when they raise their eyebrows you raise their eyebrows when they are laughing you it's just so it's just you know so she's she's learning and she's evolving and then passing into into Boris and it's just incredible and also there's something so interesting to me about how this will, you, there can never be an argument for someone saying that they can't relate to a character in a movie because they don't identify with them because I am neither a woman nor a witch. Mm. And, you know, every bit of Navina's like curiosity for life clicked instantly with me. It's mm. just, it's, it's untouchable. I don't think that argument holds up anymore. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I, I think we need to go away from, demographics demographics as a point of identification the yeah. people i feel most closely connected to are usually like nothing to do with me you know yeah. in terms of um background or uh gender or whatever and like i think especially that's what i was drawn to um i'm always looking to sort of i think there's a craving to connect with someone deeply whenever i'm making a movie um both you know firstly i create the characters for that reason to connect with them but they're fictional and then you realize you're trying to connect with the viewer just as deeply through them. Um, and I think that needs to be, but I also don't want any limitations as to what kind of, you know, anytime they're talk, talking about who's your audience, everyone always tries yeah. to limit it to the same gender and age as the character. And that's not true for me as a viewer or as a filmmaker. So I, I sort of feel like, especially with this movie, not that I set out ideologically or trying to, you know, make a statement, but I think there is an essence that kind of transcends these things. Um, and I very much want to honor the specifics of what each you know person and body has to go through in the world we, we put them. Obviously, in this movie, we do that. But I think um, there's an essence, a soul, for lack of a better term, that I think that's where you where you connect with another person. Um, and you know, the way I live my life, I, I, I definitely definitely don't want to be sort of constricted by a binary concept of gender or like. Or even my ethnicities, you know, I, I want to, the, the, I see them as things I need to transcend to, to live as full a life as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the work is a reflection of that. I didn't set out to, you know, make these statements, but like, I just kind of trust to, uh, that what I, uh, when I write, I try to do it from instinct rather than thinking it through. It's only when I'm developing it and polishing it that, you know, the, um, rational part of the brain kicks in um but yeah i trust that the ideology kind of comes through um because i definitely believe in sort of what uh you know art can do to in, in terms of shaping people ideologically but i think it needs to come from a very honest unfiltered place for it to connect with someone i mean it, it's it's truly unbelievable there I, I walked out of the out of the theater and um i made this comparison with matt the idea of you know walking out of a movie theater and then going into like you know i, I saw the my, the movie theater I saw that is near the the 
uh, One World Trade Center in lower Manhattan. And so walking out of a theater, it's walking out of a cave into this, you know, grand skyscrapers touching all this blue sky and everything. And so many people. And it's just, it's very much like I, I left the theater with that same curiosity of like, oh, look, like I'm looking at the way the clouds, the sun hits the clouds differently today for some reason. And it's, it's because I'm taking that, that aspect of. Oh my God, that's incredible. <laughs> Um, and of course, I cannot forget um, Old Maid Marie. Uh, Anna Maria Marinka brought such a, I, dude, heartbreakingly beautiful performance to this film. My, my favorite aspect is we go, as a viewer, we go from seeing her as uh, the village terror, you know, the wolf eatress and, and all that. And then seeing her as like this, you know, harsh maternal, you know, like, like, like you know, just a harsh maternal figure who... You know, we, we, we need blood and, and, and very like, you know, not cutesy, like put like instantly breaks the, the, the bunny's neck and it's like focus, stay, like pay attention, you know. Um, and then going to, you know, this this human being who, uh, as she said herself, saw no good of life, which is just such a, 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 a biting line. You know what I mean? And what was the process behind that duality between Old Maid Maria and Navina? Because you have one who saw no good of life and then got turned into a witch. And you have one who saw nothing of life and got turned into a witch. I think there's mm. an interesting, interesting uh, human parallel there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I sort of feel like, you know, even the one that saw nothing of life sort of, uh, I guess one of the main points of difference is that um, Nevena, like even when she was traumatized, she didn't realize it was trauma. because She didn't know. Yeah. She had she no, like, no basis of anything. Yeah, and and I guess there was almost an element of protection in that, possibly. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel like you know, the, there's uh, so I mean, those two people, those two women, are basically my brain split in half. So I sort of <laughs> yeah, know, there's a lot of me in both of them, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like both of their um, reactions to how the world is, um, you know pushing them into a corner uh, I think both of their reactions are perfectly valid <laughs> oh yeah absolutely there's there's so, the I don't feel like I mean you know obviously I know one is sort of presented as what would normally be a, be the monster to start with mm-hmm. um but I, I understand that person you know very deeply from the first moment like when when I was when the story came to me on uh, initially like the character of Maria came all in one um, together both in terms of the backstory and who she is now so I don't know. I always, I, I do often understand the people who kind of act out in an evil way. Yeah. Um, in and I'm not just talking supernatural stories. In a lot of places, especially like the ones with the more female energy, um, it, it makes sense to me that this this kind of version of feelings and thoughts. So, um, yeah. And ultimately, I guess the movie is about how the world kind of does everything to destroy these two women and one of them still somehow holds on to that you know ability to hope and, mm-hmm. and want and want to connect or even hope to connect yes. and the other one in the other one it's completely extinguished and she knows she realizes it in, in herself by the end and she as much as she wants to deny it to herself she it's she just becomes so blindingly aware mm-hmm. um she's heartbroken i knew by that and um i don't want to kind of I didn't want to set out to sort of make the difference between them something that's neatly verbalized. Yeah. You know, it, it, you followed it through the movie. There's this approach and there's this approach. I understand it, you know, and I feel connected to both of them really, but there is that difference. And I think there's a tragedy in that, that to me, that that's what, you know, makes me cry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what I connect to. 
there are there are two moments in the film that that absolutely broke me emotionally. I mean, uh, like like up turning into a puddle in my seat. You know, there's there's that entire sequence of Navina as Boris. You know, discovering um, the, the 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 dead young body of of Biliana and that true you know, weeping of, of the loss of such of, of human life at such a young age, which I think is something that, I mean, in stark contrast to when she killed Basilica, uh, mm. it's just like, oh, wow, interesting. This is now the, that transformation is very, you know, uh, analytical. And this one is so much more emotional. So mm-hmm. to go from that and then immediately into uh, into the arms of a caring mother and mm. hanging out with friends and on a swing and she has that line, um, I didn't know. And it just, oh, it just, it's a twists me every time. And it just, it destroys me. And then to follow that up, I mean, back to this, you know, uh, relationship between the two of them, back to follow that up with how was it so simple for you? Mm. It's just a heartbreaker <laughs> because you think about, you know, essentially they both wanted to be the, the haves what the other one wanted you know uh, uh maria went to be a mother and she wanted that that completion of a family and then that fulfillment and then nevina wanted you know or at least she didn't realize until she wanted it until she had it uh to to be that you know that child in a in a environment that wasn't a, a dungeon cave you know yeah. so, <laughs> um what it was helped. it like what was it like constructing that you know bittersweet fork in the road for these two characters these two outcomes where one is i mean it, it's a it's a beautiful tragedy like truly you can't think about it without going oh i could have part of me is always thinking like for aspects of life it could have been and this is the yeah, ultimate yeah. version you know because um, they both have that capacity to connect really just yeah obviously one of them is destroyed by life and time mm-hmm. um yeah um because a lot of time or and you know, I think other viewers' version of this movie is more valid than my own because I bring two connotations that are probably just in my head and not actually <laughs> on screen. So, um, but yeah, for me, like uh, when people talk about it in, t- in the constant in the context of motherhood or family, um, I sort of just felt like to me, it's about connections. It's a more universal thing. And then I think motherhood and family was just what was available in that particular setting as a way to connect with someone. Um, you know, when I kind of am writing stories set in a different world and, you know, two streets away from where I live is a different world, <laughs> like yeah, everything, yeah. a different world to me. Um, but I'm always like, okay, so I have this, you know, primal instinctive need, you know, sometimes I know how to verbalize it, sometimes I don't. And then like, but I'm in this particular world. So how do I, what is the way that I would find to satisfy it? Um, you know, so I think with both of them, there's just a, desire to connect and be kind of, I guess, ex- accepted and loved unconditionally. Um, for Maria, it feels like she needs someone to be subservient and finally do everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of a twisted um, yeah. sense. Um, and f- for Nevena, it's, it's a more open approach, but I think an absence of cruelty would help. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I didn't really, like... Um, again i didn't set up to like comment in terms of like parenthood or family yeah. specifically it's just going from what is the primal you know stuff that this feeling is made of and how do you find sucker for it um in the play, time and place where, where you've been you know 
dumped <laughs> out of the universe yeah. um, without kind of idealizing things too much. Like I, I didn't want, I didn't want to make life easier around them in the sense that I think that's almost unfair. Most people who, you know, oh yeah, world, absolutely, things can be made easy for them. I'm just like. A lot of us have a get a raw deal in, in, in as to where and how we're born, and then it's like, to me, though, it's still like even if in the direst, bleakest circumstances, you you need to live. You, you know, you need to yeah. figure out a way. How do I find happiness or contentment? Um, and yeah, I, I I just have a lot more empathy for the people who have to do it in very harsh circumstances and and persist in looking for it the way Nevena does. Um, I, even the way Maria did to an extent, like when she set out to do what she did in the, uh, as a young woman, like it was looking for something under difficult circumstances. Um, so yeah, and then the story, I guess ultimately the story emerges out of, that's the instinct I go in with. And then that's yeah. what the movie is now. And that's what makes it, uh, truly that's what makes it so universal is that the the the, the anchors that kind of tie everything down emotionally are are so broad that anyone is able to you know put themselves onto those experiences because it's so it's just so universal of a story and of, of, mm. of human experiences mm. yeah, yeah i mean you kind of always want to i think as an artist you always want to sort of retain as i think by making things more specific you really do make them more universal because they start to seem more real mm -hmm. and then once you i think it helps a person transport uh, you know, a viewer be transported to a particular place and story. And the more real it seems, the more open I think you are as a viewer to connect to what's going on at the core. Um, and then real universality can kick in only under very specific circumstances. Yeah. At least that's what I find. I don't know. No, absolutely. Um, something that I think visually, I, I, was, I was telling Matt, this is the one of the best, you know, partnerings of score mark bradshaw's score is phenomenal and cinematography and writing and and performance and i think that's one of my favorite aspects of that entire combination is there's this level there's this specific framing that i love so much about the film is that the whoever the subject is more often not than not is on the fringe of the frame mm. and I, I love that so much especially when it comes to a story like this because you know when, when we're when we're with um, Sarah and, and she finally gets let out of the, of the dungeon and you see her, you know, experiencing the wind and the grass and like bugs and dirt and just, you know, the, the natural aspects of just like of life outside and she's on the fringe of that frame. So they're like maybe like 95% of the rest of the frame is the world around her. And you're kind of left there as a viewer being like, holy shit, like this is everything she's, is experiencing it all at once right now. And then to keep that going through where it's, it's very much like every version of hers is still taking something in no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it, it creates distance, like those shots um, where she's looking at, oh God, how do I forget, how do you forget his name? Uh, the, the one she marries in the end, those shots where they're kind of like averting their gaze at each other and they're both on each end of the frame and you can feel the tension across the the frame of the, of like like the screen of the movie theater like oh man this is just you can feel the distance and and everything's closing in getting tighter and tighter um what was matt, matt said actually that uh you would often say like sliver you would want you know <laughs> stuff on on the on the edges of the frame i i, I, I it's just one of my favorite uh visual qualities of the film what 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 
went into that thought, that thought process specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's often very instinctive. Like, I think essentially, um, I'm looking for like you know maximum subjectivity, I guess, in the mm-hmm. filmmaking. Like, to me, every frame and cut um, and sound is about putting you know a viewer under her skin, you know, under un- in the perspective of never and then briefly. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the movie um so it's and everything on set especially because we shoot very fast because mm-hmm. in a kind of almost documentary style uh and there's a certain adrenaline that takes over which i think is um, helps the performance a lot and then the rest of us have to kind of work around that um so it's an instinctive process but there's a you know across all the short i made a lot of short films so as much as this mm-hmm. is my first movie i've made a lot of films yeah yeah but i think i just instinctively i built up this process of trying to get a sense of who is uh, how is the fe- the uh, person feeling right now and what is the uh, composition or uh, framing that kind of best reflects that and the rhythm as well um and and also the i mean the editing choices are also very key to this we, oh, we have <laughs> you know and there was a lot of freedom on set so that i eventually had the materials to sort of craft you know the movie it is now um but yeah i think a lot of the time with the framing it can't really be ver- verbalized for me mm-hmm. like i think i i, I probably i mean i probably could but i think the feeling is to proceed the mm-hmm. the rationale because i think if you're coming at it intellectually it never quite because I have tried to do that, you know. Yeah. I go, like, we're gonna do this shot this way because this is what it represents. And then you look at it and it's like, no, it's just flat and weird. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, the more the more purpose that's that's you know, it almost takes away from the from yeah, the, yeah. the instinctual it, aspect of it. It needs to direct you, like I said, yeah, otherwise you need to be finding it, not like presenting it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, um, and, and I think a lot of the time it's about like keeping up uh, you know when the world is overwhelming but i still want to keep the subjectivity that, that's where that's where they would end up in those sliver compositions oh. um and it's a and it's like to me it comes from a feeling i get when i'm a little bit overwhelmed by something like i know i'm slightly present but i feel like only the edge of my face is entering and the rest of me is left out <laughs> so that's it really interesting genuinely just goes to the feeling i have in this particular setting um at that moment if i am this person um and you know, or, or when I'm, you know, often the camera is behind them, but it's a specific distance. So it kind of feels like you're, they're being watched, but also like it's their perspective. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know, I can feel, even when it's me, sometimes from my perspective, I can feel a bit small um, and distance from where I am, but also it is me. So I, I, I don't know, it's hard to verbalize these things, I guess. But yeah, no, absolutely. Specific place feeling. And then, you know, when the frame clicks with what I'm feeling, that's when I know, you know, it's an instinctive thing again. That's when yeah. it's working. Um, and often again, like, I mean, I do shot list obsessively. Like with this movie, I had two versions of every single scene shot listed. Um, one, it was in months in advance. And then the night before I would shot list everything we were shooting that day. And then the morning we would arrive on set and I would burn the shot list and everything about it again. Because <laughs> it was like, it's about processing it in terms of processing the feelings. And then it's what's in front of me. and. With the shot list, I'm trying to get it. What is the feeling I want? And then it's on set, what's in front of me and how do I get that feeling? It's not necessarily what I, you know. Yeah. And when I was on my laptop, <laughs> the night before, there's, it's going to be the right way. So, yeah. There's a, there's a lacking almost of, uh, of like grace to the manufactured aspect of it all, to trying to manufacture mm-hmm. those 
those moments and those frames. And then there's just, it just shines when it's done, you know, in the moment and instinctually like that. It's just, it's, it's incredible. And there's also a simple feeling you're chasing. Like you're looking for the moment that, Oh, this feels like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, everybody. That happens to everybody all the time. Yeah. If, if I'm on yeah. the, the if I'm on the platform waiting for a train, there's. I think. I mean, I don't know about. I'll just speak for myself. There's always that aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if if there was a, a live crowd watching me, like, what? How would I look? What would I? What I try mm-hmm. to convey from myself? But no, absolutely. There's mm-hmm. my my favorite. I have two shots that I need to blow up and put on my mm-hmm. wall. Um, that shot of Boris from behind looking at the tops of clouds while he's sitting in the field. Yeah. Oh my God. That's phenomenal. It's, it's one of, I don't know the, the, the painting I should have checked. I think it's like the traveler or something. It looks just like this painting of a guy. He's just standing at the, at the edge of this cliff and you see the tops of these clouds that go for miles and miles. And it's just, yeah. it, it, I can't help but like, there's a feeling of opportunity and there's a feeling of, you know, literally anything is possible. And it's just, it's so, and it's in that, that, you know, montage of Boris kind of like, you know, going through the weeds and then, you know, ripping an apple apart. And it's just it, it, it incredible. And then the edit that leads to my, the cut that leads to my favorite, my other favorite frame is after uh, Biliana's wedding. Mm-hmm. And it just cuts right to uh, Maria in the woods from far oh, away right. yeah, that yeah, shot yeah. with where she's like just right here in the frame and then the rest is green trees and and, and just you know the, t- the the setting the scenery yeah. uh oh man i can't help there's that feeling of like you know and we learned her we learned her backstory by then so there's yeah. that added level like i think if, if we hadn't gotten that whole other backstory of maria it'd mm. be like oh that's a really creepy unsettling <laughs> frame and it is it's still like it's it's oh i love the i love the composition of her just right here of the frame yeah. while everything is just, you know, this negative space. But then you have this crushing backstory where you're like, oh Dude. man, she's watching yeah. in such, you know, like crushing. It's less even this, this envy and this heartbreak too. It's, it's, in, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, those two. Um, uh, yeah, no, they're, yeah. they're, they're those are the ones where they came through that second one, especially because I was like, am I imagining this or is this the feeling? <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, no, uh, incredible. Um, being the complete dork I am for mythology and and you know uh, uh, myths and 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 monsters and stuff like that, I'd love to know what kind of research went into this film for the 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 you know the like the the folklore, the witch folklore, because there are some extremely, I would say, like uniquely compelling aspects to this folklore that I would love to learn more of, like the the middle claw or the the um the witching spit like like so interesting like tangible things that i think well, there's that uh, nothing i love more than something as as you know uh, mystical as as fantasy being physically brought to life so what was yeah. what kind of research went into that stuff um oh i mean i researched a lot and then i, I was looking for specific things within the region because i was trying to you know ground it in yeah. as much of a reality as possible but um there actually just wasn't a lot that um i felt connected to um i actually created all of that that's incredible <laughs> in that's incredible and but I, I love that you said tangible because literally i was like okay there's this one element that's supernatural in the sense that it's we have 
women who can be witches and they can, that means they can transform into other mm -hmm. people or creatures and the rest i was like how do i keep this as grounded um, and earthy as i yeah. possibly can and as you know palpable so tangible essentially mm -hmm. um and then everything around it was created around that um and to try and keep it as cohesive and as non-invasive so that like all the mythology and rules were kind of just within the dna and kind of in the background rather than mm -hmm. you have to keep explaining or yeah oh absolutely um so yeah but i and i don't even remember how you it I, I, it's truly some of my favorite uh creative aspects of the film because there's i mean after the initial transformation like this first close-up one we see with the cat it's done off camera with the wolf it's far away with with her mom it's done off camera so when you get that first one from Sarah to Numi and um, it is, it is very, there's a, you get a physical reaction from something like that. And um, yeah. Matt told me that was Numi's first like shot is her yeah. death. <laughs> and even just that scene, like originally as written, um, you've seen the script when it comes out eventually um, it's mm -hmm. sort of, it wasn't supposed to be as lengthy and detailed sequence as it became. It, again, it's that thing of like when you're making a movie, gradually you realize there's this moment that gives you this feeling, but there's, there's this other one that you also want to present. And I realized almost the night before, um, we're going to need to show a lot of these transformations. Yeah. <laughs> and I went up to my, um, so the person who did the prosthetics, Larry Van Dynhoven, wasn't on set because of COVID. Unfortunately, he was stuck yeah. in Australia. But someone who worked with him closely, Camilla Bassi was on set. And then there was our Serbian makeup, um, head of makeup, Dushit Sevoksanovic is her name. So they were on set, but um, prosthetics, the prosthetics side, uh, I speak to Camilla a lot more. Um, and then, um, so I just ran to her and I was like, okay, we need to do this and this and this tomorrow. All of this is ridiculous. And I'm sure we don't have any of it entirely my fault. Let's put that aside. What do we have? <laughs> it's just like, well, we have this and this and this because Larry planned for this and this and this. And then, you know, I went to Dushitsa and I was like, okay, so if you do this, we could do it. And yeah, so suddenly we kind of improvised a little at night um, as to what's doable. And then what goes into that transformation that seems, you know, usefully unnoticeable to people is the, how much the actress is doing the heavy lifting, especially. Oh, especially I mean, None there's, of that was just, like we didn't set up a rule for how someone transforms. I was squirming in my seat. It's one I, take. She's doing that all in one take. And like, and again, Maddie was very careful with, I mean, you know, I gave him the frame in terms of what I was mm -hmm. after. And then he kind of, and he's also operating. So this whole time, like, you know, he becomes an extension of me, is what yeah, I feel yeah. like. Um, but then he builds on what I said. And so he framed it in a particular way where a lot of that scene doesn't have the effects. It's very yeah. much aesthetics and, you know, tangible. And then, um, yeah, he's, and he's framing her and like, we all become very close with, with the cast and the crew. So they kind of feel very safe and, you know, they don't need to worry about whether something's going to be caught. They know, mm -hmm. right but they don't even need to worry about setting themselves in a certain way. It's like, they're just living in it. And then Sarah had almost no warning. I mean, you know, I told her the night before what we're doing uh, in terms of like extending that sequence. And then she just did, did it instinctively, but she does it. I remember watching it just on a monitor and it, you know, it was, in, I would look up and it would just be unreal because you're like, what's happening in front of me right now is yeah. just 
like again the feeling of this is definitely a movie but also like how is this all just coming together that whole sequence where unbelievable you know, she goes into the barn up until she becomes numi and then numi becomes this person like yeah it felt so weirdly effortless and it's yeah. such a complicated sequence that we had to plan for you know in so much detail in, in many ways and then what happened on the day just the film kind of came alive by itself and um what the two of them specifically Numi and Sarah managed to do like and you know they just met the night before very briefly like, wow <laughs> so that phenomenal uh, I mean you know we had I'm close with each of them individually yeah. they're both like, very close friends so it's spoken to them and you know we've been in this world but they don't really even know each other and suddenly we're doing <laughs> all this and most of those shots only had one take like because I'm like well we have it so let's keep yeah. going there's 800 <laughs> other things we have to do and yeah, and they were quite straightforward to edit as well, which was very helpful because there's a lot to do in the edit. Absolutely. I mean, there's I, I couldn't sit still during that that first transformation. And what I love most about that first transformation, I also told Matt, is it's a very informative part of the movie in that, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of her transformations, you we, we see her, you know, kill Boris and then suddenly she's in his body feeling out, you know, that this, mm-hmm. this new grown body. And then we don't even see it happen for... Um, Biliano. So, but in the back of my mind during the rest of them, I have that in my head, no matter what watching this. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining the physical, like, like I, I couldn't sit still when she's kind of just, she somehow conveyed perfectly in that first one, what it must feel like to put someone else like it's, bits of someone's organs inside your chest. It's this is the it's thing. a very These are the performances that need to win awards, not the ones where you have snappy dialogue, you deliver snappily. Like it's you know anyone can do like uh, anyone competent can do that. Yeah, like this is the person creating feelings that are tangible in a world that barely exists. You know, Absolutely. And you don't even like that's the thing though. It's, it doesn't feel like acting. You don't think about the craft yeah. that's gone through it. You know mm-hmm. so. I just, you know, I mean, Sarah's going to be my next movie and the one after that, hopefully. I mean, unfortunately, there are smaller roles, but I'm like, we need to, like, work together forever. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Do with Nui, as in looking for, I'm trying to write a couple of things for Nui as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm reaction is going to be the next movie as well. So I feel like I found my family if I try it. Truly, I mean, it's it's such a, like, a like there's a simpatico yeah. to it all, you know? I mean, and that yeah. edit, that, 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 the way that the camera floats around around them like omnipotently and it's almost i was telling i was telling matt it's very much like you can you can replace uh sarah's narration with like david attenborough and it becomes a a witch uh, <laughs> uh national geographic type thing where you can you can hear like yeah. as she rips open the yes. heart and it's very much like <laughs> the macedonian female <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the witches of Mas- it's just so it's just so uh, yeah, tangible is the only word I could think of. You can feel everything. You can write down from like the the the, the like the almost like the the temperature of the blood to the the the, the hay underneath them to mm-hmm. the the feeling like the the way those claws look so not like fake finger extensions. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think sometimes yeah. I think I think a lot of like prosthetic things. If you have like someone have long creepy fingers, you can either see an indent or you can feel like. It's maybe goofy looking, but this one was like animalistic and yeah, very very organic, right? That's yeah, no, was, truly, like like <laughs> from the from the way that they pop out to the rest of them, like the rest of the movie, them being very curved and it's just yeah, no, there's a very very physical aspect to everything. You can you can you can feel everything on the 
on the frame. Um, this is, I think this might be my, my, you know, anxious curiosity, but I, I need to know if there's any significance to the fact that the names of the people never takes the form of all start with the letter B. Is that just, oh, not, didn't start off. I mean, I definitely wanted it to be the same letter, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't, it's not connected to anyone. I know. <laughs> <That's what Yeah. laughs> no, no, I just, I, I, I think that's just incredibly interesting. Uh, you know, Basilica, Basilica Boris and Biliana, there's something. It helped know, unify it them in my head, really. It's, yeah. it's our Alexander, <laughs> And then, I mean, the names are kind of related to um, names I would have heard in that region at the time. Yeah. And, and also I was thinking what was easier to pronounce for people who weren't from Macedonia. <laughs> um, but also, um, I, I, you know, their energies, I think all of them are people my grandparents were friends with. Like have, wow. I would have those names and not necessarily people I would know very well in my life, but mm-hmm. I would hear them a lot uh, when I was little. Um, so that's where the, it kind of comes from. And then, yeah, I did want it to keep it to one letter. But then also, again, it's that sense of the same way of an image can click when yeah. the name settled. I'm like, it clicked and I didn't have to question it even to myself. Um, mm-hmm. Once it feels right, or once it stops feeling wrong, is the way I should phrase yeah, it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. <laughs> Next thing. <laughs> it was just, it was itching my brain. I was looking through my notes and I'm like, hold on a second. There, this can't be a, an accident. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, well, this was, this was incredible. Uh, thank you so much for you know, this opportunity to talk with you. I would, I would actually just one last thing. Mm-hmm. I would love to know a little bit more about what you're working on now. Just the tiny premise. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's very different. Oh yeah. 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 That's what yeah, Matt yeah, said. Yeah. It takes place then, in, you know, late, late nineties. And we're finishing one now. Uh, we're in Adelaide right now doing the color grading on oven age, which uh, Matthew Tron also shot and Bethany Ryan, a production designer and Christina Seaton is the producer of with Sam Jennings. So it's the same team, um, but yeah, it's very different. It's set in the nineties in the suburb of Melbourne. I kind of, um, so the Macedonian mountains are kind of my background or I mean, when I was little, you know, they were very present for me. Um, and that was the setting that I, I'm very fascinated. So, okay, when I was growing up, I was a film nerd, mm-hmm. like from age 12 onwards. And to me, real life always happened where the movies were and what was happening to me in day to day is just irrelevant. Yeah. So, and I'm not necessarily very interested in seeing myself on screen, but definitely the places and the settings where I grew up with, I kind of feel like if I put them in a movie, I will feel like, you know, part of, I will feel more part of the movies and the movies will feel more part of me. So the mountains were the swamp part and now it's the blandest place in the world, which is the northeastern suburbs of Melbourne, <laughs> where I spent my teenage years and came Well, there you age. go. You, you, you brought it and to the... sexuality so that I could do very twisted sex scenes in <laughs> period films. At first, that had to be quite simple. Um, so, yeah, this movie is set um, in, in 1999 for uh, three quarters is in 1999, set across this one day where a 17-year-old boy, a ballroom dancer, kind of breaks up um looking uh, he thinks the day is going to be one thing with this girl he loves when it turns into something else entirely and then he finds another person he connects with and we see them across this 24-hour period and then we see them 10 years later again when the oh next boy. time you see each other. um so yeah it's 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 a love story it's a lot um 
it's kind of um, grungy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's a grungy element to this film that probably will be a little clearer once you see my other work that you're gonna, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people don't notice it because, you know, I always remember watching films we're looking for patterns. And I think the more people get to know my sensibility, other things will emerge and you won't be alone as well. Um, but yeah, it's as different as it possibly could be, but it's also very much about looking for intense connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I'm expecting that that sense of uh, universe, universal you know, connection to be. I definitely was looking for it to try and make it in a specific a setting and, uh, and as uncinematic as <laughs> as possible to make something. <laughs> very cinematic and very universal so yeah i'm very happy with it so far but yeah not many people have seen it so i could be very delusional right now well, i look forward to talking with you about it when that drops too great no i look forward to talking to you about it like i love that someone has the like even just the, some of the words you're saying i'm like literally that's things i had in my head i didn't tell people <laughs> about so it's just uncanny that they've come across you know we've never even met and that, yeah this <laughs> and i feel like i know it's you. really yeah. <laughs> moving for me genuinely so yeah thank you so much thank you for, for for joining me um if you guys want to follow the podcast you can go to my youtube channel comedian of cinema or if you can go on spotify apple podcast wherever you find the podcast how's it going to end